We're in Mark. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to chapter 6. We're in verses 45 to 56. This is probably something that some of you are saying, wait a second, haven't we already preached a sermon on walking on water? Actually, I had that question when we came to this. We've been studying through Mark. And some of you will remember that three years ago, right when COVID hit, do you remember what series we were in? I didn't, so you probably won't. We were, we were in the seven miracles series, seven miracles from the Gospel of John, and one of the seven miracles in the Gospel of John was the one we're going to study today, the walking on water miracle. But COVID hit right in the middle of that, and, and the f- second Sunday that we, where we were canceled and nobody could come to church and you had to, you had to come online was when we covered the walking on water. So a lot of you were still experiencing the freedom you had in COVID, like, I don't have to go to church. So I know many of you haven't heard this sermon yet, uh, but for those of you who did, it was three years ago, and I'm sure you've forgotten by now. And so we're going to study this as we come to it in the Gospel of Mark. Actually, I want to just go back and look at where we've been. Last week, we we saw this deja vu miracle in Mark chapter 6, where Jesus feeds the 5,000, and then not even two full chapters later, he feeds 4,000. Some of you, if you've ever been reading this in the Gospel of Mark, somebody just told me this last week. They said, I thought I was, I thought I would, had made a mistake when I got to Mark chapter 8 because I'm like, wait, didn't didn't I already read this miracle? Because it shows up twice. Mark is the shortest of of the four Gospels and still he tells this miracle twice and here's why I think he did it. This was last week, by the way. The reason he did it is because I think he wanted to show us how easy it is to forget God's miracles. And I'm not talking about like the big miracles, like the, when, he, when he raised the 12-year-old girl from the dead or when he cast demons out of people, the stuff that we've been studying in Mark. Those miracles are pretty memorable. I think the miracles that are not very memorable are like the daily provision miracles, and that's what the feeding of the 5,000 is. It was a daily provision. Think about this. Every person in the crowd that was fed that day, there are 5,000 men, probably 20,000 people in all, counting women and kids. Every single person who was fed that day in that miracle got hungry approximately four hours later. (laughs) Not a very life-changing miracle. In fact, did you even think about this? Most likely, nobody in the crowd even knew that that it was a miracle. There wasn't like a PA system. They didn't... If you go back and read the story, you'll see that Jesus is talking to his disciples about the problem of feeding them, and Jesus prays for the meal, and then has his disciples distribute the the food for the rest of the day. If if you've ever been in a crowd of 20,000 people, like there's no way that you would have gotten the memo that this was miraculous. They probably didn't even know it was a miracle. So who was the miracle performed for? For his disciples. Jesus wanted his disciples to see who he was. Jesus wanted his disciples to recognize kind of like what God did for the Israelites back in Exodus when he dropped manna from heaven and and fed those people miraculously. It was almost like Jesus is trying to leave breadcrumbs for his disciples about who he is. And the disciples didn't even get it because not even two chapters later, here they are again in a huge crowd, everyone's hungry, and remember what the disciples said? They're like, Jesus, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna feed all these people? And he was probably like, you morons. (laughs) Like literally, it was three days ago that I just fed 20,000 people. This isn't even as big of a crowd. 
and Jesus does the whole thing again. Why? I think it's because he wants to show us, he wants to show us how easy it is for us to forget God's daily provision in our lives. Think about the miracles that you've witnessed in your life, not, not the raising dead people to life or casting out demons, but like the daily miracles, the, the provision in your life, the food on your table, the air that you breathe. Like that is God's daily provision that sometimes we don't even ever ascribe to him. We just think like we, we are entitled to it or something. This is God's gift to us, his provision to us, and we miss it just like the disciples missed it. So anyway, that was kind of a deja vu miracle. And then today's message is a little bit of a deja vu miracle because a couple of months ago we studied Mark chapter 4, and that was the first time Jesus calmed the storm. And today, spoiler alert, we're looking at the second time in the Gospel of Mark that Jesus calms the storm. So two miracles that are going to feel very similar, kind of like what we talked about last week, two miracles that are going to feel very similar. Now, the Mark chapter 4, if, if you weren't here, that was the one where Jesus is asleep in the boat, and they're on the Sea of Galilee, and a big storm kicks up, and they wake him up, and then he calms the storm. He shows his authority over the wind and the waves, which shocked them. And then today's story is going to be very similar, except he's not in the boat at the beginning of the story. He's going to walk out on the water. So most of us think of this as the walking on the water miracle, but actually it was the calming the storm miracle part two. He does the same thing again just a few chapters later in the story today. And so before we even get to any of it, I just have a question to ask that we asked two months ago, if you're here for that sermon, and it's just this, are you facing a storm? And maybe two months ago you weren't, but life has a way of kicking up storms, doesn't it? So maybe some of you are here today saying, I vaguely remember that sermon, but I didn't really need it two months ago, but now I do. Maybe something's going on in your life now where you realize that you have ears to hear what we're about to study today. Now, we're not going to just study Mark chapter 6. I want, I want you to, if you have Bibles, I want you to, or Bible apps, I want you to have like a finger in Mark 6 and a finger in Exodus 3 because we're going to kind of look at these stories in parallel because I want to draw draw out some insights for you today. So let's start in Exodus chapter 3. This is where the, the Israelites are in slavery in Egypt, and Moses is out there in the wilderness, and he comes across this burning bush, and God speaks to him from the burning bush. And here's what God says to Moses. I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave labor drivers. And yes, I'm aware of their suffering so I have come down to rescue them. Now, I want you to just look at the themes here. Remember that just to set this context for this, this is the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years in Egypt, and, and now God is going to do something about it. Just think about that. 400 years. 400 years of slavery. Generations and generations and generations of people in slavery to put some context to it, almost twice as long as this country has been in existence, Israel was in slavery. That's a long time. And now God's finally going to do something about it. And so he approaches Moses. And I think it's interesting. I want you to look at the theme, what he says to them. He says, I have seen the oppression. I've heard their cries. I'm aware of their suffering. 
So what we have here is we have a God who's saying, I see what's going on and I'm going to rescue. Now keep that in mind. Keep those themes in mind as we read the text for today. Mark chapter 6. It says in verse 45, immediately after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back in the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida while he sent the people home. And after telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. So Jesus goes up into the hills. He's going to pray. The disciples get in the boat, and they start heading out onto the Sea of Galilee. Verse 47. Later that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. And about 3 o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking that he was a ghost. Now look at some of the overlaps for these themes here. In the Exodus story, God says to Moses, I've seen their distress. I'm aware of their suffering. I'm going to rescue them. And now here we have in Jesus, it's kind of like a little mini picture of that same story. Jesus is up on the hill. He sees their distress. He sees their trouble. And he heads out onto the water, apparently to rescue them. But then this little part of this passage kind of jumped out at me. It says, he intended to go past them. Now, I studied every commentary I could get my hands on these last couple weeks trying to figure out what this means. And nobody had anything to say about it. But it just jumps out at me that, that apparently Jesus is walking out in water and we're thinking that he's going to rescue them, but I kind of get the sense that he wasn't. I get the sense here that he saw their distress and he just was going to walk past them. Now pause for a second. I want you to think about the storm in your life. Because this is part of the problem. Is many, many of us, when we go through a storm in life, one of the questions that we have is, is Jesus even paying any attention? Does God even care? Does, does, does this even matter to him? Does he even know what I'm going through? Some of you are going through maybe physical issues or, or like a health scare in your own life or in your family's life or maybe... I think even worse than that is, is relation, relationship problems, maybe in a marriage or with your kids or friendships or whatever, relationship problems. Man, that causes so much stress. Maybe that's the storm you're going through. Maybe some of you are going through a financial storm right now. And it's so easy when we're in our storms, it's so easy for us to think, do you even care? Are you even watching? Are you even paying attention? And then again, we see this in the Exodus story that God was, that God was paying attention, but where was he these last 400 years? So now, now he's paying attention. Now he cares about it. Now he says he's aware of their suffering, but where was he? And Jesus, I mean, it's encouraging to, to see that Jesus was aware that they were in serious trouble, and he starts walking out on water. So again, as we're thinking about this story, we're thinking, okay, the rescuer is about ready to go out to rescue them until we read on, and it says that he intended to go past them. Like he was just going to, maybe he just wanted to beat them to the other side, and he was going to go ahead and let them struggle for a while. That's kind of what I think. And then they got his attention, screaming out like a bunch of girls. Sorry, that was my translation. NLT just said they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. And so here's what it says. They were all terrified when they saw him, but Jesus spoke to them at once. And here's what he said. 
don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. And he climbed to the boat, and the wind stopped, and they were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. There's a lot here. Let me try to explain this. First of all, I want to, I want to show the connection that Mark is making to the previous miracle, the miracle of the loaves. What they were saying is the reason that they were amazed is because they didn't understand the significance of the previous miracle, not to mention all the other miracles we've seen so far in the Gospel of Mark. They still didn't understand who Jesus was. They still didn't understand that Jesus was God. I mean, the previous miracle dropping was supposed to draw their attention to the other Exodus miracle of dropping manna from heaven, but they didn't get it. They weren't putting it together. And so here, Jesus does this thing, which again is a, another deja vu miracle because he had just done something very similar to this a couple chapters ago, and they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand who Jesus was. They didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Now, that, what was the significance of the miracle of the loaves? In a nutshell, it's that Jesus is God. That's the significance of that miracle. Jesus was showing his identity to his disciples, and they still didn't get it. Why? Mark says something really interesting. He says, because their hearts were too hard to take it in. How, how could the disciples have hard hearts? I thought the disciples were the good guys. But then we remember two weeks ago, John the Baptist, he's in prison about ready to get beheaded by Herod because he brought judgment on Herod. And John the Baptist sends his disciples to go talk to Jesus to ask him what I think is the most confusing question in the whole Bible. Are you the Messiah or should we be expecting someone else? Now the reason that's confusing is because John the Baptist's whole mission in life was to point people to Jesus. His whole life was about telling people that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is greater than me. In fact, when some of his disciples left Jesus after Jesus started his ministry, John the Baptist is like, go, do it, because he's better than me. He's greater than me. He's the Messiah. That's the John the Baptist who's in prison now, sending his disciples to Jesus to ask him, did I make a mistake with my whole life? Did I have this wrong all along? I'm not sure you are who I've been saying you are this whole time. And I know some of us can relate to this. But the reason John the Baptist had such a hard time is because he was going through a storm. Because I think when we go through storms, our faith gets tested. I think when we go through storms, it shows the, the weakness, the, the doubt that we can have. And I want to just encourage you that doubt's not the same as disbelief. So here we have disciples whose hearts were too hard to take it in. There was a measure of doubt in their hearts about who Jesus was. They were still trying to figure it out. And don't be too hard on them because John the Baptist was still trying to figure it out too. He didn't, un he, as great as he was, in fact, Jesus said he's the greatest man to ever walk the earth. As great as he was, even John the Baptist had doubts about Jesus because storms have a tendency to do that. When we go through storms and trials in our lives, we have a tendency to like, to say, are you who I think you are? Because my life's not turning out the way I thought it was supposed to turn out. You know, John the Baptist is like, I'm in prison. I'm being judged. Like, what gives? What's going on? Do I have this wrong? 
It's kind of, it's kind of like the, the thread that we see in the prosperity gospel these days. Maybe you see these preachers on TV who say that if you follow Jesus, then he's going to give you a great life. He's going to make you healthy and wealthy. The problem is that's not biblical. Now, if you're healthy and wealthy, you better thank God for it because it is from him. But he doesn't owe that to you or to me or to JTB, John the Baptist. He doesn't owe that to them, to him. He doesn't, he doesn't owe peaceful waters to the disciples. Maybe that's why he was just going to walk right past them. He doesn't owe anything to any of us. He's God, we're not. We don't order him around. He tells us what to do, not the other way around. But it's so easy for us as we're on this journey of life and storms kick up in our lives, it's so easy for us in the midst of the storm to say, I'm not sure that you are who the Bible says you are, God. I'm just still working that out. And if you're there, if you've ever been there, I want you to, I want you to be encouraged today. Don't be too hard on yourselves because that's what we see in the story. And I want to I just focus on three words here. Jesus says this. He says, I am here. Now, the commentators did have something to say about this. Because some of you, if you've been in church for a while, then maybe you recognize those words, I am. I am, are, those are two really important words. Those are the words that God used to self-identify. Back to the Moses story. Remember the burning bush where we started? Let's go back to that. A little bit later in that passage, God said this to Moses, I am who I am, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So Moses, you know, God's saying, I've seen the people, I've seen their distress. I'm going to send you to rescue the people out of Egypt. And Moses is like, they're not going to believe me. What's your name? Who should I say has sent me? And God just says, for the first time in history, God gave himself a name. It's kind of like if you go to a party, if you go to like an event and you've got to put a name tag on, hello, my name is, you have to write your name down. It's like, it's like God, for the first time ever, wrote his name down on the name tag. And the, and the words were just, I am, in English. In Hebrew, it's four letters, Y-H-W-H, which is where we get Yahweh from. Y-H-W-H, that's what I am is. And Jesus is using these words for himself. So, so these, these words that are supposed to speak something about the character and heart and nature and truth about God, like there's no, there's no that's not technically God's name. God said that because he's like, how can I best explain me to the people? How can I express, best explain me to the Israelites? The best way to explain myself is just, I am. I just am. Eternally existent, self-existent, not requiring anyone else to explain away my existence. I just am. But more than that, I think, I think here there's a different sense, and it's the sense that we have in, in Mark chapter 6. It's it's that I'm present. I'm present. I'm sure the Israelites were like, where you been for 400 years? And then Moses shows up and saying, guess what? The I am is here. Now, he was there all along. But they were having a hard time believing that. And so now here Jesus is walking on the water, and he, and he says 
to the disciples, take courage, don't be afraid, I am here. His presence is what made the difference. It reminds me of the verse that we looked at a couple months ago when we were studying this water miracle in chapter 4. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. And that command, fear not, like take courage, what Jesus is saying in Mark 6, that command shows up 365 times in the Bible. But really more than that, I just wanted to focus on the other part of that in verse 10. There it is again. I am with you. It's almost like all throughout the Bible, anytime someone was going through a storm in life, God's promise to us is his presence. He doesn't always promise, he doesn't always promise that he's going to calm the storm, but he promises his presence. That's what his name is about. I am. Yahweh. I am here. He might walk right past you. He might intend to walk right past you, but guess what? When he's walking past you, you know he's near. You know he's present. That's what we get from this story, is that God promises his presence through the sunshine and through the storms. In our lives, I think that's what makes the difference, is that God promises to be with us. Even as we're trying to figure out who he is, even as we're trying to make sense of, of his identity and his heart for us, I want you to hear this today, that God is present. So if you feel like you're in a storm now, if you feel like you're, you're going through it right now, I want to encourage you with those words. Now Mark ends the story there. That's all we have in Mark. But I wanted to finish by just showing you what Matthew says about this. Because the story of Jesus walking on water isn't just in Mark or in John. It's also in Matthew. And the Matthew account adds a little bit more. Because some of you might be like, wait a second, isn't there, isn't there something else really meaningful in this story that Mark missed? And if you notice that, you're very astute. Because Mark left something out that Matthew included in the walking on water story. And here's, here's what it is. Matthew 14, verse 28. Jesus is out on the water. The disciples are freaked out. Everything is the same. And then Matthew adds this story. Peter calls out to Jesus, Lord, this is just like Peter, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. Now pause for a second. If you've been, paying, if you've been coming to church from the beginning of the year when we started off in the Gospel of Mark, you, do you remember where we said the Gospel of Mark comes from? Like where did Mark get his source information from? We think it's from Peter. So it's not surprising to me that Mark doesn't share this part of the story because, spoiler alert, Peter's going to look really dumb in a minute. So either Peter didn't really tell Mark this part of the story or Peter did tell Mark and Mark's like, that's really embarrassing. I'm going to leave that out of my account. One of those two things. But that's why we have to turn to Matthew for this part of the story. Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come walk on the water. And so Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat, walked on the water toward Jesus, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. And Jesus says this, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? It's really the same lesson that we got from Mark, except the Mark lesson was applied to all the disciples, like, do you still not understand who I am? 
Do you still not get who I am? Because their hearts were hard. But in Matthew, it applies it specifically to Peter. He's saying, Peter, why the sinking faith? And the sinking faith is because Peter, while he was focused on Jesus, was doing just fine. But as soon as he focused on the storm, that's when he started to sink. What a great lesson for us. In the storm of life, and again, if you're going through one right now in the storms of life, like to recognize the presence of Jesus in the midst of it, the more we focus on Jesus in that, I think the easier it is to get through those trials and those struggles in our lives. But man, the more we focus on the, the storm, which I've been so tempted to do when, I, when I'm going through trials, is I get so focused on the storm. Rather than turning to Jesus, I want to just encourage you, if you're going through a storm right now, like let that be something that, that pushes you more to Jesus, not more away from him. Let it be something where you say, God, I'm, I'm going to lean into you even more now. It's kind of like what we're saying about the book ban in Davis County, that, that what the enemy meant for evil, God can turn for good. You know, the enemy wants to turn you away from Jesus in the storm of your life, but Jesus wants you to turn toward him. So let that storm, let that trial, let that struggle be like a trigger for you to press into prayer, to press into your Bible, to, to want to know him even more. Say, God, I don't get it. I don't understand why I'm going through this. It feels like you're walking right past me. It feels like you're not even looking. It feels like you're not even paying any attention, but I know you are. Because you paid attention in Exodus, you paid attention in Mark, and I know you'll pay attention today as well. God is present in our storms. And so Mark 6 ends like this. It says, after they had crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out, and the people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, in villages, cities, on the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. Wherever he went. The great I am. I mean, that's really, that, that, the word for today is just presence. Wherever he went, there he was. And his presence made the difference. And I want you to know today that his presence can make the difference in your storm, and your trial. Just know that the great I am is, is there. He sees it and he cares about it. Let's pray for those situations right now. Would you bow with me? Jesus, I thank you that you are the great I am. You are the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament, and you are the God of today. Jesus, that wherever we go, there you are, because we can't go anywhere and escape your presence. And I pray for the person who's here today who needs to know you, who needs to sense your presence today. God, maybe the person who feels alone, they feel like you've abandoned them. I pray that you would send the message today, I am here. Yeshua, Yahweh, the Savior of the world. God, I pray that you would that you would assure us of your presence, even in the midst of our pain. And in particular for the people who are going through a real storm, I pray, I pray that that would be true. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.